Scott with SJ, Wildfire.com. Hey, I'm pleased to announce Pastor Larry. We've talked a little bit about Pastor Larry and his Bible study. He's been studying Ephesians 6 for the last three to four years. He's been diving deep into spiritual warfare. And what was interesting is during his study over the last three, four years, he actually had a demonic encounter that he had to rebuke in the name of Jesus Christ. And this is a man's man. Pastor Larry fought two years in Vietnam uh, with the Marines, saw a bunch of action. Then he became a pastor from there later in life. He ended up becoming a school teacher, very hardworking man, owned his own paint company, uh, multiple blue collar, white collar jobs. The man has life experiences. He's a cool dude, man's man, fun to be around, and he loves the Lord. The Bible has withstood... Vicious attacks of its enemies as no other book has. Many have tried to burn it and ban it and outlaw it from the days of the Roman emperors to present-day communist-dominated countries. And they're still trying to do it. Sidney Collett, in his book All About the Bible, makes this statement. He says, Voltaire, the noted French infidel who died in 1778 said that in 100 years from his time, Christianity would be swept from existence and passed into history. But what's happened? Voltaire has passed into history, while the circulation of the Bible continues to increase in almost all parts of the world, carrying blessing wherever it goes. For example... The English cathedral in Zanzibar is built on the site of the old slave market, and the communion table stands on the very spot where the whipping post once stood. The world abounds with such instances. As one has truly said, we might as well put our shoulder to the burning wheel of the sun and try to stop it on its flaming course as attempt to stop the circulation of the Bible. H.L. Hastings has illustrated the unique way the Bible has witnessed the attacks of infidelity and skepticism. It says, infidels for 1,800 years have been refuting and overthrowing this book, and yet it stands today as solid as a rock. Its circulation increases, and it's more loved and cherished and read today than ever before. Infidels, with all their assaults, make about as much impression on this book as a man with a tack hammer would on the pyramids of Egypt. When the French monarch proposed the persecution of the Christians in his dominion, an old statesman and warrior said to him, Sire, the church of God is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. So the hammers of infidels have been pecking away at this book for ages but the hammers are worn out, and the anvil still endures. If this book has not been the book of God, men would have destroyed it long ago. Emperors and peoples, kings and priests and princes and rulers have all tried their hand at it. They die, and the book still lives. And the Bible is still loved by millions, read by millions, and studied by millions. I might add, the Bible is very unique in its teachings. You know, as we study prophecy, was well, is a great infallible proof 
that the Bible is for the uh, is the Word of God. Dr. Wilbur Smith said it's the only volume ever produced by man or a group of men in which is to be found a large body of prophecies relating to individual nations and it named some of those nations to Israel and to all peoples of the earth to certain cities and to the coming of the one who is to be the Messiah. The ancient world had many different devices for determining the future known as divination but not in the entire gamut of Greek and Latin literature, even though they use words prophet and prophecy, can we find any real specific prophecy of a great historic event to come in the distant future, nor any prophecy of a savior to arise in the human race. Mohammedism cannot point to any prophecies of the coming of Muhammad, uttered hundreds of years before his birth. Neither can the founders of any cult in this country rightly identify any ancient text specifically foretelling their appearance. For example, the Bible is full of prophecies on the coming, first coming of Jesus Christ as he entered into this world. It talks about his birth, where he would be born. It talks about the people that would visit him, such as the Magi. It speaks of numerous ways in the events surrounding his birth. And those have been proven by historical and documental criticism that they happened up to over those prophecies were made over a thousand years ago from the book of isaiah and the book of psalms it talks about multiple passages in the book of isaiah it talks about the way that the messiah would die and what would be said and what would be done during that time. It speaks of crucifixion when crucifixion was never heard of, 750 to 800 BC. The Romans introduced crucifixion. So we have many prophecies that people have to account for. And these prophecies have been under intense scrutiny, but proven to be true and uttered when they're should have been uttered a thousand years before Christ was ever born and before he was ever crucified. Lewis Perry Chafer said, The Bible is not such a book a man would write if he could, or could write if he would. And here's an example he gives, and I think it's very strong. He says, The Bible deals very frankly with the sins of its characters. And you just read the life of David where it made the statement in the scripture that David was a man after God's own heart, but David committed a grievous sin of murder and adultery. So the Bible deals, frankly, with the sins of its characters. Read the biographies today and see how they try to cover up or overlook or ignore the shady side of people. Take the great literary geniuses. Most are painted as saints. The Bible does not do it that way. It simply tells it like it is. 
The sins of people are denounced. The sins of even the patriarchs, such as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're revealed in the book of Genesis. Evangelists paint their own faults and the faults of the apostles. Paul had to rebuke Peter for his prejudice with the Jewish laws. The disorder of the churches is talked about. The sins of the churches. Well, the Bible's got the habit of telling it like it is. And I say, if man would have written the Bible without the influence of God, and if the people of Israel would have written the Old Testament, they would not have painted themselves such in sinful rebellion almost constantly in the Old Testament. They would try to cover up those sins as they did in Jesus's face in the New Testament, the religious leaders of his day. So the evidence, my friends, is the Bible is very unique and it's very overwhelming. And I'll tell you where I got a lot of this information. And if you want to get a copy for yourselves, it's Josh McDowell's the author. And the book's called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. In fact, he wrote a second volume. It's called More Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And the evidence is overwhelming. And it's written by, I think it's Thomas Nelson Publishers. So if you'd like the book, get that book again. It's called Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. So, back to our text. That's why I see the importance. And, you know, I don't believe um, that I need those evidences, even though they bolster my faith and they're, they're a good answer for this uh, skeptic. But, I believe the Scriptures, what the Scriptures say, they've proven themselves to me also. The Scriptures do what they say they will do. They will give a person a new heart. And that's where we must start. It must start in our heart. Our heart is our mind, emotions, and will. We can try to reform people on the outside, and that's what uh, non-Christians try to do. And I mentioned that once before. The Bible says, out of the issues of the heart that a man speaks. So we must deal with the inside and that's what the scriptures do the scriptures say that god and i mentioned this before that god will give us rest lest we fall after the example of unbelief and we as we read on in that hebrews chapter 4 passage it mentions that it's the scriptures that give us that rest because it's a, what it says in verse 11 or verse 12 it's because the word of god is alive or quick as the king james would say and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and as it is a discerner of thought and intents of the heart. You read that. Discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. 
That's why I say that the Word of God through the Spirit of God will get to the heart, which is the issue. It is the issue of man. And how do we fight a spiritual warfare? And that's the basic foundation. The basic foundation is the Word of God. Without the Word of God, you cannot fight the battle. Satan will have you for lunch. And they'll have you for supper. And they'll have you for breakfast. Friends, it's the Word of God. It's the very foundation that a man builds his house upon. And then when the winds and the rain come, it will not fall. Foundation is crucial. That's what Jesus taught in the book of Luke and also in the book of Matthew. Satan, no doubt, will attack you. If you're a believer in Christ and you've dedicated your life to him, you're a target. That's why the scriptures say that we are to put on the armor of God. And I mentioned before, not just part or some of the armor, but the scriptures say the whole armor of God. We're not suited up for battle with just part of the armor. It must be the whole armor, which is the Word of God. We must have the Bible at its ready. In fact, I read that the Bible must be in our heart because there's times that Satan will come to attack that you don't have a copy of the Bible. So what are you going to do? have to have it in your heart and I said before it takes it it takes discipline it takes time to do this it takes being into the Word of God daily and I confess sometimes I fall short even to get these messages ready I have to be into the Word of God it's a discipline that I have to teach myself that's why Paul says let's labor therefore to enter into that rest, you have to. If God has put the responsibility on us, we can't put our Bible on the coffee table and expect it to jump out into our hearts. We have to apply ourselves to it. We have to discipline ourselves to it. If you lack discipline, ask God to give you this discipline to be in His Word. I mean, God has spoken. Can there be anything more important? than what God has said for the trials and tribulations of mankind on this earth. No, there's not, to answer my own question. There's nothing that's more important. You say, well, how do I, how do I apply that? Well, you, for example, you read a verse and says, I'm tempted to tell a dirty joke. I'm just using an example here. And I have this scripture in my mind. It says, or at least I know where to find it, Ephesians 4, 29 and 30. It says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may be minister grace to the hearers, and you don't grieve the Holy Spirit. We don't obey the scriptures. We don't have it in our heart. We're going to grieve the Holy Spirit. None of us want to do that as believers. We don't want to grieve the, the Holy Spirit. 
This is why the Bible says, as we read in our armor, that put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. And what's the sword of the Spirit? In Ephesians 6, 17, it says, it is the Word of God. The only offensive armor that we have is the sword. We have to know how to wield it in certain situations, in certain circumstances. We have to know how to use it. I was taught in the Marine Corps, as I mentioned before, that I had a rifle. That was my offensive weapon. And I had to know it. I had spent many hours in knowing it, how to take it apart, how to clean it, how to use it. Went to marksmanship school, how to shoot it, how to be accurate with it. Without that training, without that teaching, I would, I would not be good in battle, would I? And the same with the sword of the Spirit. You must train and discipline yourselves to apply it to your life, to know how to use it in certain circumstances. That is the spiritual armor that we start with, is the very Word of God. But we not only battle, as Paul has stated, a battle from without. We also battle from within. And actually, we, come, we become an enemy of ourselves. This is why the unbeliever, the unsaved, falls short of what God wants him to do, because he's powerless to do it. He doesn't have Christ in his life. He's not in Christ. Christ is not in him. But we as believers do this battle within ourselves. And that's in our main text. That's in Ephesians. But not only do we have an enemy from without with Satan, we have an enemy from within. So Paul says that however is not the way of life you learn to indulge in every kind of impurity and, and be full of greed, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Christ, you were, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted, bias deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and we're going to talk about that in depth and to put on the new self created to be like god in true righteousness and holiness therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor because that's what we're seeking here we're seeking truth so To battle the enemy within, we have the power of Christ, and that's also found in Ephesians, that we can put off the old man. Now, there's ways to do that, and we can talk about those later. But we battle this enemy from within. You read Romans chapter 7, you'll see Paul trying to battle his old nature. Because now we're, we have two natures. We have Christ's nature, and we have our old nature, and they do battle. And Paul tells us to put off, you get this same idea of putting on, because sometimes they get dressed in the army, you have to put off the old clothes. 
spiritually speaking. Because you can't carry around spirituality and earthly carnal desires at the same time. One will cancel the other out. So, we must put off, we must battle this enemy. And it's a daily battle. It's a daily battle that we must depend on the Lord Jesus Christ for the victory. And Satan surely uses our old nature to keep us from our allegiance to Jesus Christ. So that said, I pray that you will listen in uh, next week. And God bless you and success in your spiritual battle with the enemy. See you next week.